This is Writer's Cast, a podcast about books and authors. I'm David Wilk, your host. Today I'm talking to Anne Enright about her latest novel. It's called Actress. It's a wonderful book. Uh, we've spoken before. We talked when you were in the United States for your last book. And I was really pleased to have this one. I hope that uh, it's the reception has been good. Yeah, yeah, well, I can't complain. The reviews have been uh, terrific. I haven't met that many readers as yet because it's just out. Um, but I couldn't be more happy with the critical response. It's been great. Um, it was out, first of all, in the UK, and, and, and so the reviews came out there. And now a week or two later here in the States, uh, so they're still coming through, but I'm delighted, yeah. So this book, I felt like, you know, I, I've not read all of your books, but it, it felt a little different. I think partly because it's not a traditional novel with, um, uh, you know, with a, a, a sort of start, beginning, a beginning, middle and end. It's much more, it's, it's more complex, even as in some ways it's simpler. Um, and I'm, you know, I was, I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but I and I don't want to give away anything to readers. That's always okay. an important thing. So we don't want to talk too much about the details of the story. But maybe, you know, I could just ask you to talk a little bit about what what is it about this particular? Well, this uh, we should probably say this story is about an Irish, on its surface anyway. I would say it's about an Irish um, actor named Catherine O'Dell. Um, who's quite famous, and the story is told by her daughter, Nora, um, as a kind of jumping around story, which has definitely a lot going on on multiple levels. It's about her mm. mother. It's about her father. It's about her own life. I and I really I felt you know that it was really Nora's story, even though it's ostensibly Catherine's story. And I kind of wanted to ask if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, Nora, the daughter, starts writing about her mother because a, a young um, person comes to her door and wants to tell the story of her mother, the, a kind of academic, wants to write a PhD that might be a book. And suddenly she feels very possessive about this figure of the kind of well-known, uh, faded glory of um, this well-known actress, Catherine O'Dell. And, and, and her husband says, why don't you write it? It's been the thing that she has avoided writing all her life, even though she's written other books and they've done well enough. So she sets out to write a memoir um, and it doesn't really work out that way, as you may have noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Their first chapters are detailing uh, Catherine O'Dell's life, uh, where she was born and and the time she went around Ireland with the fit-ups, the we call them the fit-ups, um, those roving troops of strolling players who played Shakespeare and brought Shakespeare and melodrama to the Irish towns. And then she's on Broadway. She's 19. No, she's in London. She's at the age of 19. She gets a part in London. And then suddenly she's on Broadway. Suddenly she's in Hollywood. And by the age of 23, she is, you know, she's a success. She's done two really uh, iconic, uh, at least one iconic movie. And after that, it's all downhill for various reasons, or slowly downhill. And she takes proper comfort, I think, in her the craft of, of acting as opposed to the glamorous world of Hollywood. And she's working on the stages of Ireland and then Europe. And, you know, she does... But she is an iconic presence. She's got the red hair. She's got the plaid shawl. She's got the beautiful 
Irish intonation, the stage intonation <laughs> of, you know, Siobhan McKenna and those uh, people we're familiar with. Um, but slowly, and I think uh, slowly and then quite fast, Nora's own story starts to take over. And I think somebody said to me recently that memoirists always end up loathing their subjects. Um, uh, and uh, I thought, well, well, they might either end up loathing them or eating them. And the way that Nora prevents this from happening is that she turns the book around and it's more about herself by the end and how she defined herself quite in opposition to, to she says, I am the opposite of my mother in in many important ways. So she's the kind of, she has an anti-celebrity life. Right. One way or the other. Although, although whenever somebody says that they chose to be different from their mother or father, that's an immediate question mark. <laughs> you yes. know, I, I, I kind of relate to that myself. You know, my father was a writer and I didn't want to be him. Okay. And so, but then I think, well, I've ended up being more like him than I ever could imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a parent, you want your children to have their own thing. So, uh, and it may be, it may be closely related, but it has to be theirs in some way. Um, there's very, very few, um, except in the theatre, actually, there are, there are some very successfully dynastic uh, theatre families. And Hollywood is a surprisingly enmeshed uh, family space as well. Um, there's that amazing uh, thing that Carrie Fisher did in her show, Wishful Drinking, where she, show, she showed how all, all her, the various relatives she has because the worry was in Hollywood when she was growing up that she would date somebody by, that she was related to by accident. <laughs> right. No, it is true. I I think that happens. I think it, it, there is a certain, you know, um, whether it's genetic or familial, it, it is, you see this happens quite a bit that families um, tend to um, move in that, you know, they, they kind of cluster around a certain kind of activity like, theater or, or film or writing or yeah. art, art maybe. Well, in Catherine's case, her father was an actor, her mother was an actor. And, um, and, and, um, and that, the, the fact that her father was an actor afforded her some protection. And you do see that the film stars or the film actors of, uh, you know, for many decades, they would be protected in some way by, by some, by some fam- uh, family bond or the bond of of marriage, that they were they were they had to constantly make themselves safe in some way against a, a predatory uh, business, um, and and so they had their various tactics to survive all of that, um, some more successfully than others. I mean, Catherine O'Dell's a bit like Maureen O'Sullivan, Maureen O'Sullivan, Maureen O'Hara, I think Maureen. Right, and yeah, I think it is o- O'Hara that you you're talking about. Y- yeah, from the Quiet Man. Yeah, yeah. As a, yes, I I was just talking about something else recently that involved Maureen O'Sullivan, but Maureen O'Hara, uh, who is an Irish, she came from Dublin. She was very middle class in a country that didn't have a large middle class in those days. Um, and she complained that she was seen as cold and mar- I like, as though she was carved out of marble by the Hollywood system because she wouldn't put out, basically, because she eschewed the casting couch. And she seemed to be quite sure of herself and quite entitled. And it was a thing, it was class 
that that gave her that security and and marriage. She married fairly, as people did in those days, fairly young when she arrived there. Um. So, but anyway, in the push me pull you of mother daughter that is Catherine and Nora. Nora becomes a writer, and that's a very good thing for a an actor's child to do. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, but also she, you have Catherine attempting to be a writer and really suffering for the failure of her, you know, of her work. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, as as you know, this as her uh, uh, as her biography unfolds, we see Catherine acting in one or other kind of second-rate fiction, <laughs> usually written, all of them, in fact, written by men. So she's performing characters or figures or cliches of, of womanhood and or girlhood that we are all familiar with. Um, and they sort of start stacking up, really, <laughs> as one follows the other, you know. Um, and, and in her decline, in her career decline as an actor, she tries to write parts for herself. Um, and that involves writing monologues. But the only monologue, the only figures that she can find in Irish history to write about are somehow a bit second rate as well, you know, because, of course, you know, there, there, there weren't hugely successful female characters to be glorious with, you know, on stage. They're all fictional. And in fact, there aren't that many of them. So, but she attempts to write herself apart uh, somehow. She ends up writing a, a a play about the the murdering madam of Copper Alley called uh, Dorcas Kelly, a, a woman in the 1740s, I think, who killed five men. She was a, a, a ran a brothel and she killed five clients and she was hanged in, in Dublin. And when she was hanged, the prostitutes of Copper Alley, which is a fine tourist spot now, a very nice place to hang out, they all, they rioted on the day she was killed. So... Um, so, so this this was the reclaimed historical figure that she wanted to write about and be on stage. Of course, the producer who she answers to says she's too old for anything. Thank you very much. She couldn't even play Dorcas Kelly's mother. She, he doesn't say that to her. He says that later after she shoots him in the foot. <laughs> well, he's you know you. It seems that she. This is to say, Catherine has to struggle constantly to be herself and because she isn't herself ever in you know she's never really allowed to be herself at any time yeah well Nora her daughter says she was a great fake but I mean she doesn't say it in a disapproving way one way or the other it's kind of she's a she's a fabulous fake you know there is a kind of campness to a tiny camp edge to 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 much of the theater stuff because it's theater darling it's marvelous she was a wonderful fake you know um, but uh, um, so I had to defend Catherine from charges of being somehow inauthentic, as though being fake or real were were, were two big moral pro- problems. You know, if you weren't real, then you were somehow immoral. She doesn't really. She's quite a permeable sort of person. She doesn't really know the edges of herself, perhaps. And I don't know if we if we do know. I mean, she assumes these different identities on stage. She moves her life. She changes her accent. Changes. She becomes a kind of fiction herself. Right. Well, uh, no, I, I thought about that. As, but maybe that's what we all do. You know, yeah, well, we put on a certain <laughs> jacket and we walk out right. in that jacket rather than the other jacket, and that's a fiction. That's a costume. Right. Well, but actor, you know, in that way, actors are doing expertly what people do on a daily basis. 
Um, yeah, and they're enlarging it, and they're making it. You know, they are. They they're they're doing it up there, as it were, in the right. light. Although what I think you face have to face is with the actor in the private, so-called private life, where so, you know you wonder whether they're able to, as you say, they they take on roles so often they know they don't really know who they are. Well, yeah, I mean, Catherine is also chaotically undone by some of the events in her life, perhaps, or some of the anxieties that are attendant on her stardom. I mean, she, she, uh, and its loss and the dimming of her stardom. But, but I, I think everybody who has listened to their mother getting ready to go out the door would understand the scene where Nora describes her mother going from bedroom to, you know, can't find anything and everything's disappeared and where's her lipstick, where's her pantstick, where's her curling dogs. And, and and there's a great fuss and a great bother as she tries to get herself out the door. And then at the, at the, at the hall door, she turns to the mirror and just aligns herself in a particular way that she's satisfied with. That's, you know, and greets her public face and then takes that public face out the door. Um, but I mean, we all do that to an extent, and 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 perhaps our parents all did it too. Who well, I, I actually leave quite quietly. Well, you, it, I think it's great that you you don't really know from Nora's telling how it was. You know, where where the where the separation of reality and 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 certainty lies. She doesn't mind. So she's not accusatory about her mother, and she quite l- likes the l- the layering of the real and the fictional. There is a little scene where they're having a picnic in the, the middle of a square where they live. The, the, the square is surrounded by houses on all sides, and they have a picnic, and, and, and she's only seven or eight, and she's also pretending to have a picnic with her dolls, and she's pouring invisible tea, because pretending is not a bad thing. It's something we do very naturally. And her mother... Is slightly pretending to have a picnic with her lovely blanket and her flask of tea. You know, she's you know, but she doesn't mind that they're that the the people in the houses around might be able to glimpse them in the park or see this. She doesn't mind the performative aspect of being a mother. Um, and nor does Nora, although she's slightly uneasy about it. She says she doesn't have to pretend to be my mother and be my mother at the same time. That would be like double cream. So it would be twice as nice. <laughs> so there's this feeling that there's something easy about the pair of them already. And then to have this elaborated or made formal in a, a performative way makes it twice as nice. And actually, sometimes that, that is what happens, isn't it? When people perform their relationships as well as having them. The horror is when they're performing them and, and there's nothing at the center, you know? Well, and for this, in this case, there is quite a bit at the center because for Nora, her mother, is she's an only child. She doesn't even have a father. So the relationship between the two of them is very intense. Yes, well, everyone has a father. <laughs> genetically speaking. Um, yeah, the relationship between the two of them is intense and also quite managed um, The in the fact that in the way that Catherine uh, doesn't, they don't have those teenage fights so much about uh, what the emerging uh, sexual presence of, of her daughter doesn't seem to threaten Catherine the way it, you know, the way it might. Um, all those fights about hair and, and clothes and makeup and 
what time are you home? And all those all those wrangles, she says, didn't didn't happen in their house because her mother was a bohemian and that was kind of wonderful. But uh, Catherine does go into a, into a kind of further decline when Nora starts becoming autonomous in her own love life. Um, and Nora understands, yes, that she feels supplanted or abandoned or old in some way. So I was really interested in that eatable crooks right there where the daughter over, somehow overtakes or what competition is going on between daughter and mother, between age and youth. What 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 are the tensions there that can't, that there's no other way except through one way or the other. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I thought it, it you you feel that the transfer of uh let's say live uh, aliveness from one one over does overtake the other in this story, I think. And uh in the story which is told by the daughter. Yeah. yeah. I mean it doesn't that that doesn't yeah, it's in the story. It, it it also is in their lives a little, but Nora goes on to have quite a quiet underperformed life by contrast to her mother. So although she overtakes her mother, she does, she overtakes her to get to a, a, to what might be called a better place. Right. Well, it does seem, yes, a different path, but she perhaps comes to being a more uh, realized, a more self-aware person that her mother, I think you can, you know, you might contrast her mother as being unable to be, to, as you said, to know what, who she is around the edges. Whereas Nora, because of the lack of drama, knows that's what she's about. Yeah, well, she's very contained, um, Nora, and she's the constant one um, for her mother. She looks after her. She's the she's the little mother. She looks after her. Um, for, uh, you know, she knows about her finances from a very early age. Um, she tends to her in ways that children perhaps shouldn't be asked to do for their parents. And um, I lost my thread of thought there. I was just uh, thinking about Nora looking after her mother. Oh yeah, no, she also looks after her husband really, because he's got the, he's the one with the personality. He's the one with the kind of uh, the the emotions that blow through him about possession or dispossession or jealousy or what's he going to do or and she's the quietly constant one all through her life. And that's that's partly a question of character or personality. Well, it's also as you have her, you have her a writer, and as you are a writer, you know very well that the writer is contemplative and analytical uh, and responsive to what's going on around, trying to record uh, and understand. The writer is a monster, David. (laughs) What are you saying? (laughs) Writers are monsters. Nora is 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 perhaps alone in being a kind of quiet. <laughs> Quietly determined and self-contained writer. No, I'm only. Yes, of course I am only joking. It is. Uh, she could go anyway. That's that's her character. I I don't know if writers are. Uh, you know, there. I I I remember a writer saying that in every relationship there's a question, and the question is, who is the creative monster? Is it you or is it me? You know, and the creative monster is the one who gets the cup of tea made for them. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and so in 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 I suppose in Nora's marriage, although I'd have to go back and write the book again to put the cup of tea into it, but he she would be the one making the cup of tea. Right. Uh and and but then the monster is the one who breaks the tea before it can even be consumed. 
yes, well, <laughs> there's, there's lots of monstering as possible. But I mean, Catherine was a bit of a monster, and 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 so it is. It is that thing that the the, the child has to be sturdy and has to has to manage. So those managing children, and she continues to be a managing person as she goes through life. But she no, has her no. she has her work. That's true. Well, and but I did think it was interesting that she is. Um, you know, you, you're you have her interest in trying to understand who her father was, not obsessively as it could have been. You know, as it might be for some children who yeah. don't know their fathers. Um, well, well it, it is. I think anecdotally, it's more the case for boy children who don't know their fathers. Um, and this is an interesting, you know, I took that away in the book, uh, waiting for people to realize it, I suppose, that this lack of interest is also um, a hidden, hidden, quite an interesting lack of <laughs> absence in the book. But uh, I have talked to um, children who are adopted um, and try and trace their parents and they, they almost universally look for their mother. And then they look for their father, perhaps as a second thought. Um, um, and the expectation I have met among adoptees is that the father m- may not really matter in that he may not have been there for very long or that he may have no interest. And indeed, some of the stories of de- of, of being denied by, by fathers would break your heart, you know. So that connection between father and child in that biological sense is not necessarily felt as a tenacious and constant one for these for these children who have who don't know their biological parents on either side um and but this thing about the being knowing your your mother very well and not knowing who your father is was a slightly different challenge um and I left it I left it there until, you know, the middle of the book and she starts talking about all the different kinds of fathers she might have had or, or, or what they might have been. And she she talks about not feeling that she was, she had a father complex, that she's pretty certain in herself that she did oh, not yeah, no, pursue. She doesn't have a daddy problem because women don't have daddy problems. It's the thing about women. <laughs> 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 they don't. It's all about their mammies. No, um... You don't necessarily believe Nora when she says that, and she she kind of highlights that a little bit herself. Um, I haven't really written in the past about fathers, and I was this is my first uh, kind of development of you know that 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 problem of what of what the father is to a daughter, um, and so I was. I, I broke them up into lots of different types and styles of fathers, like the men that you might, well, you know, see in the movies. And she wonders wh- whether this ghost in her blood is going to come out in one or other kind of gestural or uh, fated kind of way, you know. Um, but of course, all of these these are these are these these imaginings are 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 really diversions and denials in their way. Yeah. Well, that's true. There's a lot of denial in this book, I think. <laughs> but you know, also- I, 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 I think you're, there's a lot of denial in in a number of my narrated books. But what this is is not just denial. It's it's a kind of transcendent thing, because you might say, 
an editor at an early stage says, where's all the, where's, should she not be more angry with her mother? Um, and I thought about it and I have experience of a number of, of, of women who had very problematic single mothers who wouldn't hear a word said against them, that they just idolized them. Um, and my own mother had a not, I don't know whether she's problematic or not, but her, her mother was a widow and, and a single mother for that. And she just adored her and said she was just lovely. She's just perfect. And, and she just was a kind of amazing human being. And I, I think you get it sometimes with a certain style of man who thinks that his mother is the most, you know, unassailably wonderful human being possible. That's one version. That's but but it, I, I was in, I'm intrigued to see it in the female iteration, um, in in, in as it, as happens with these daughters of single mothers. So she adores her mother, and she, and her mother is transcendently wonderful. Yeah. So it's not quite denial of the fact that she wasn't always there, and that she was a handful, and that she drank all the time, and she threw up in the bathroom and she did all kinds of bad things Catherine O'Dell and, and her daughter doesn't blame her for a single one of them right no I thought that that's what I thought of as the denial is that she um, yeah. she just adores her and forgives her even at the end there's that great I thought that you were you know in, in the time when she is at her end at the end of her life that Nora is taking care of her and forgives her for every single thing at the end, which is really just wonderful, I think. Isn't it lovely? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's well, she doesn't even she doesn't have to forgive her because she doesn't blame her in the first place. And the thing she discovers at the end of her mother's life when she's tending in, in to, to her physical presence and and to, to her physical needs is. Um, a, a, an amazing sense or or a surprising sense of piety. Yeah. But um, I don't know whether that is dependent on this frame just of that novel. Um, I, I don't think it's ever, I haven't really seen it written about. Um, but I mean, there are women tending to elderly people all over the world all the time. And, and, and I just haven't seen it in prose. Um, how how well it can be done and how tenderly it can be done, you know? No, that's true. Well, I think maybe it's because people focus on the painfulness of the, that transition, you know, that the passage yeah. from... Yeah. And the focus loss. ends up being on loss rather than on celebration. Or simplicity or, or, or fragility, you know, yeah. or, yeah, all of yeah. that. All, all of that. Well, I I think it was really it was a wonderful book. It was very surprising how how it came together, and I I really appreciate your okay. skill as a writer in putting this book together. Good, thank you, <laughs> thank you <laughs> for another okay. another wonderful book. So, oh, thanks, um, thanks, David. It's very nice talking thanks. to you. This has been Writers Cast, a podcast about books and authors. I'm David Wilk, your host. I've been talking to Anne Enright about actress. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. 